This hour is sponsored by BitCentral, efficient media workflows. is NAB Show Live. Good morning. Welcome to NAB Show Live. I'm Brian Seth Hurst, and I'm your host for this segment. Wow, it's been like nonstop jam-packed and fun-filled. The floor is still packed. Uh, lots of new technology, and hopefully you've been watching along and seeing everything that we've been able to show you from the floor and from the stage. Uh, today we're going to be talking, I'm your immersive guy, and today we're going to be talking immersive sound, which I have to admit is not something I, I know just enough as a producer to make me dangerous. So I have Joel Dueck from Echo VR and Matt Marin from Here360. Joel and I have yet to have the opportunity to work together. is isn't like we haven't tried. Um, and Matt and I have worked together a few, a few times. So, you know, you hear this stuff that sound is the... Um, the stepchild that nobody considers, but now more you've got, you're getting more and more attention all the time because it's so absolutely necessary to the experience. So Joel, I'd like for you to talk a little about Echo VR and then we'll talk a little about Here360 and then we'll talk about the challenges in sound, especially in live. I'd like to talk a little bit about live yeah. as well. So Joel, tell us about yeah. Echo VR. Um, well, my background is as a composer and sound designer and um, when we started uh, hearing about virtual reality popping up again around about 2014-15, um, we saw this kind of gaping hole of where sound was not being done right. And so it, it's something that we set about doing is teaching ourselves and figuring out how can we improve this, you know, uh, this state of things and how can we bring um, top-notch spatial audio to experiences. And it's been quite a ride. Um, I would say that you know it's something that we still try to do as sound guys. Is it's kind of our job to keep evangelizing about the power of sound or the importance of sound. Um, and as we move into even if it's augmented reality, um, I like to remind people and remind myself that ultimately sound and music is the origin of reality augmentation. It all starts there. Um, we've been using sound to effectively augment and qualify our experiences since as long as there's been humans. But, the, but the way we've usually heard sound is right, left, or stereo. That's correct. Except in real life, of course. That's correct. And, um, and well, tell us a little about Here360, because I, I know more than they will know, so I don't want to jump in sure, sure. and assume, so. Well, thanks for having me on, Brian. Yep. And, and we, Brian and I, have worked together. Um, I'm Matt from Here360. Um, my background actually is in uh, music production, so 20 years in LA. Very interesting that you um, both came from the music world. Yeah, really focused on recording, mixing, producing uh, records, you know, mm -hmm. regular two-channel stereo records. Um, but over the years, um, my business partner, uh, Greg Morgenstein, he's back in LA right now, we worked together a lot on, on a on a lot of different projects, including film and surround sound projects. Well, we ended up consulting for some companies, um, you know, helping them sculpt the, the, their, their sonic sculpture, you could say, for their product lines. Some of those companies happened to be dabbling in spatial audio before virtual reality, you know, uh, even existed. Mm. And it was a time when nobody cared about it, really. 
but it was interesting uh, product lines, you know, for enhancing uh, tablets or uh, sound bars and things like that. Um, so we learned a lot um, doing that, and when VR popped up, we found this opportunity, I think kind of similar Same, to yeah. yours, where right. we were thinking, well, you know, let's figure out how to make this really cool, because we have all this experience and expertise uh, with sound already, um, and recording and mixing, let's figure out how to actually lever leverage that and translate that. And so we decided to start a company called Here360. Um, we specialize in uh, immersive audio, uh, hardware and software solutions for 360 video, VR, AR, XR, uh, traditional uh, video on demand <laughs> platforms. We have solutions for that as well. Um, and uh, Brian and I had the pleasure of working together on a series of live uh, events um, and, and starting last year at NAB. Yeah, and yeah. this is where I, I this is where it got com gets complicated for me, <clears throat> and for creators and producers. So when I met Joel, you were up on a ladder at the meta stage, that's right, adjusting sound for volumetric. Yeah, which to me all of a sudden was, oh yeah, I didn't really think about that. So mm. uh, you know, this outside <clears throat> capture outside, and then this winter when we did Rolling Loud and we were talking about, which is a hip hop festival, and we were talking about how that sound should be captured. Uh, I have to say, it's so, especially in music, it's so complicated to me to get it right, because if you don't, especially where things are coming from, I mean, I get it in audio games like Grand Theft Auto, where you're moving closer to the, the, the riot and the sound gets louder. I get that object-oriented sound, but you know we had talked about taking the sound from the front of the house and how you were going to augment it so that the person in the headset would would feel the presence, would feel like they were in the crowd. But then I think, okay, so what you're designing, first field of design would be, if we're saying this is virtual reality, okay, so we're going to be in the headset. But no, what you design also has to work on mobile phones because people may be just using mobile phones for 360, and by the way, not all those mobile phones have the same sound capability, right? Right. Or use the same format. That's right. And then you have the new headsets that are coming out where the sound is actually not even in a headphone. It's, in case you don't want to put one on, it's somewhere in the strap, like with Oculus Go. Projected, yeah. And then, then you have to deal with what else is out here to make sure you still get the same experience that you would get, maybe not the same, but, so uh, how do you deal, there is, I guess the question is, there are so many freaking variables mm. for sound design for one project and consumption. I get the image part, I know how that works, but the challenges that you face every day is everything, are you hacking? Well, you know, we can talk about Rolling Loud. So Samsung VR, uh, they have a specific rendering uh, system on their platform, and they've got a number of them for spatial audio, uh, which we can fit into natively with our products, but they also have traditional 5.1 spatial audio systems. So for, let's, let's take Rolling Loud, for example. You're talking about a live concert. You want to approach it uh, from a, a, your perspective, right? If my camera's here and I'm watching the show, I want to feel like I'm in the audience, yet I'm going to need to have some impact added in from the front of house so that it doesn't feel too ambient. And when I turn my head, I expect the, the sound to move with the, with the visual, right? In order to convince me that I'm there. But you're right, there's all these different formats now. You've got phones, you've got headsets. 
how do we go to each one of them? Well, in the case of Samsung, what they've done in the past is they've you know, streamed a, a 5.1, a traditional 5.1 uh, uh, stream, um, and then they've sort of taken that and transcoded that to diff different platforms. So for web, they've ripped off the left and the right. So what that means is we've avoided using center, center channel. Because if, if we use center channel for anything, yeah. it's going to get lost when you go to your actual web player, right? Um, mobile phones, in general, um, will act similarly to the headsets as long as the player can support it. Um, the web player is the biggest hinge, but so it is a little bit of a hack. You have to be thinking about all these different platforms and how to make it sound good on each one, and you have to constantly be checking each one to make sure that they sound good after the stream. You well, know, and yeah, while you're streaming. yeah, while we're in, we're actually posting these acts now. Sure. And you know, the sound is the last thing that we're going to optimize. And so when I'm in the headset, I'm thinking as we're editing, and this is really interesting because we're editing in two different places, so we all get in the headset and we talk about what's going on. And the sound, that final optimization, that is going to be, it's music for God's sakes and it's a concert and that's the emotion. Especially when you have call and response from the artist to the crowd. You know, you're, the artist is saying, no, 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 and the crowd is surging forward and responding, and being able to capture that, yeah. that's yeah, that and, magic. And to speak to that, that's why we just grab as much content as possible. We, we ingest everything we can, you know? We'll take all the, all the microphones from the TV trucks, we'll, we'll set up our own microphones all over the place, um, we'll take as many feeds from front of, from front of house as we can, and we'll, we'll... You'll figure it out afterwards. We'll figure it yeah. out, yeah. And, mean, yeah. and if it's a live stream, we'll take the key components, compile that stuff and then give it back um, you know, for the live stream. But for post, we'll track as much as we can because we want that flexibility. And speaking about formats, that was just the tip of the iceberg. Then you've got all sorts of other formats. You've, well, you've got the sound formats. You've got all these ambisonic formats, first order, second order, third order. You've got omnibinaural, you've got Atmos, you've got all these different things that you can be looking mm. at delivering to. Yeah. So it, it, it's quite you know, a we bit had, to handle. On my that. brother's keeper, we had Scott Gershon design the sound for, for the cinematic VR piece we did. And when I walked into the studio, he just looked and he said, you know, I had to come up with a completely different workflow for you guys. Yeah. I, I want to talk about confined space and Foley. Um, so you were up on the ladder. There's about to do this capture. We have a series that we're working on right now that is all about um, moral relativism, how people behave with each other in confined spaces. Interesting. And there's a lot of Foley work, but in the confined space, something is happening over here, but something is happening over here, and sound is a major part. So when you go to work in the beginning, do you come in as the sound designer in VR, and I'm setting film aside, the sound designer in VR, and work with the storytellers, when the storytellers, this is the action opening over here, but the attention I need is over here. How do you design for these confined spaces or yeah. for Metastage as well? Well, I think, you know, that speaks to, I think, probably an important thing for both Matt and me. You know, obviously we have similar backgrounds, um, but coming from, let's say, the, uh, uh, the content creation part of it and then trying to figure out what will we need to do in order to capture the elements. And so, uh, in contrast to hiring sound guys, location guys, and stuff like that, we taught ourselves to do it because being mindful of what we would need meant that we would make specific choices based on how the project was kind of going to roll out. And, and that's why we ended up doing you know, location stuff and figuring out microphone placement and stuff like that. So um, you know, there's, there's, it's always an imperfect um, 
art, science. I mean, Matt mentioned, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's pretty interesting in, in that sense that you're making it up as you go along. You capture as much as you possibly can. Uh, you're dealing with the fact that the camera sees everything, so where do you put your microphones? That's your first problem that you're going to deal with. Um, you're going to deal with the issue of um, mostly when you want to spatialize things, you really want to have mono tracks. You want to record things as separated as possible. But of course, when you have multiple microphones, they're each going to pick up what the, other, you know, what the other microphone does. So you have to figure out a way of staging it so that there's enough separation. That can mean, for example, when actors are talking, that you don't want them to overlap. Yeah, I was going to say, and yeah. you have to mic actors. Yeah. So you're, mic you're micing the environment, you're yeah. micing the actors. Um, it's different in live because you can't grab from a sound library, right? You can't just That's right. you can't so augment. What we've been building at Metastage, which is it's pretty interesting, is um, there you've got 106 cameras. So you really can't put a microphone anywhere. All you can do is put lav mics like these ones hidden. Sure. And these are very imperfect because they rustle and you know, they're inconsistent. And so we, we said to ourselves, well, um, we want to be able to capture decent sound in the same way that they're capturing image. How can we build a system that is going to capture this kind of this entire area, this sphere of sound from the outside in? And so we contacted a partner of ours, which is Sennheiser, and brought them on board with this challenge. They've been working on some technology and created what is now, I believe it's the first volumetric audio capture system. And it means that you can have a, an actor uh, standing there. The microphones are around there, about seven feet away, so they're not close. And we record everything. Uh, it goes through some magic, and what you come out with is a single um, mono track that sounds like a microphone was right there in front of the actor, that we can then in post-production steer anywhere we want, because it's a mono track, so we can spatialize it easily. And I think that's where increasingly we, we kind of want to go. We're looking at new technologies that enable us to kind of record from further away, and yet maintain the sense of presence that we really need. Okay, so yeah. here's the challenge in image. I can shoot at 12K, I can't display at 12K right yeah. now. Um, the best I can do is 4K, I think, soon eight, six, whatever. Yeah. But I know I'm future-proofing, I am gonna shoot at 12K so that I have a library in the future which will have value. Sound design and, is there something similar to that? Like you just said, well now we have volumetric capture, but are the, are the, are the listening devices, are the headphones, are the sound that's in phones, are they capable of broadcasting or streaming in the sound that you've designed? Um, I think you know, we know already what are the limits of the human hearing capacity. And I think you know, CD came pretty close to that. And vinyl maybe a little bit better, albeit it's a bit more scratchy. And so uh, we're already able to capture and play back pretty much at the fidelity we might we might ever so you have a, where you might not have true fidelity in image. Yeah, especially in volumetric, you, yeah. you're you're getting to the point where you will. In light field, you'll definitely yeah. have. So you're saying sound is already at that place. You see how little I know. Yeah, it's I, good. I Thanks for answering the question. Yeah, but also to add on to that, I mean, you could be, let's say, uh, you know, creating your spatial audio uh, track deliverable as a third order ambisonic mm. file, right? Which you, you're going to deliver as a first order for now, because. You so know, ambisonic, define ambisonic so, really quickly. So it's a spherical harmonic you know, system. Um, you know, third order down to first order, it's a different number of tracks for each deliverable. First order, you've got four tracks. Second order, you've got nine. Third order, you've got 16. And then you can place those tracks 
basically spatially. it's like a super complicated, uh, you know, mid-side decode system with a, yeah, a it, center it, pressure it's, it's channel. It's kind of just a way of representing um, the sphere of sound and the resolution that you have is determined by what we call the order. Um, so yeah, if, if it's first order, you've got four channels, only four channels to represent the entire, entire 360 sphere. space. But you can do it. There's you can do it, but it's not it's it's not, it's, it's not, it's not as great. true as it should because be. Because if you want people to be able to really say, okay, that sound is coming from exactly there, you don't have enough resolution really to determine that. Once you get to third order, you've got 16 channels. All of a sudden, you've got higher resolution. It's like going from you know. Uh, 1080 to 4K, it's the same kind of thing. But that's, a, that's exactly what I was you know, getting to is, I think that's a nice uh, example of where you might have a high resolution de deliverable, but you might only deliver it in first order because the platform can only So you are it. scaling, you You're are scaling and converting. Yeah. But you have that high res master, at least later on you can, you can deploy it when the, the platform can do it. And there's other things too. If you're talking about a rendering engine in a, in a, on a mobile phone, you might not have uh, enough uh, filters, we call them HRTF filters, to actually take, take those uh, sound positions and, and localize them around your head. You know, because each filter takes up a certain amount of processing power, right? So if, again, we're representing a sphere. So whether you have six filters to represent the sphere, or whether you have 80, or whether you have 7,000, right? We're talking about resolution and where we can pinpoint and map uh, you know, a decoded sound in a position in space. So those are perfect examples of scaling um, quality and, and what we'll be able to do to increase that quality. But you need to, I'm thinking in, in this piece we did, there was an explosion. And in the highest resolution of the sound, in the Oculus Rift, you literally heard it come down around you. Right. But then in other iterations, and I won't say who, you heard it, but it didn't, it didn't do this. True. So you have to prioritize, how do you do that? How do you say, well, we're going to keep this, or this is not possible on, on this platform, but the director and the producer say, but that's, that's so important to the story. How do you prioritize? These, are, these are the creative choices that go along with it. And this is also why we do a couple things a little differently at Here360. We, we use some other formats besides MBSI. We use omnibinaural formats um, because we love the, the resolution of the sound that we can capture with our microphones. And with eight channels, we can provide a, a hyper-realistic feeling um, that, that we can control a little bit more. And, and so there's, but again, these are all just creative choices. Mm. Like it's, it's amazing that we have all these creative choices and depending on your application or how you, how you, how you want to deploy it, you can, you can make that choice. So you're like. What's important to you. Yeah. You're like oral surgeons in the respect yeah. that you're, so the question then becomes, what part of this, there's no part of this that's automated, is there? Um, well, <laughs> look at them! <laughs> look at them looking at each other. Well, I, I'm mm. saying that you know there, there could be. Uh, there's been some recent advances that uses image tracking as a way of steering the spatialization of the sound, and it's not great. It doesn't work 100%, but it's the beginnings of something, uh, because normally you know the way we will spatialize something is we'll look at the video and we'll kind of follow spot effectively. Where is the person moving? and we'll follow the sound you know, with, a, with a kind of a panner. 
Um, so we can quite soon, I think, move into a place where we, that, is, that process is automated and it'll, it'll follow itself. You just say, that's my target, keep the sound on this person. So we can already pretty much do that. But um, I don't know, I, I mean, I, don't, I also don't know if we want to automate it because, you know, the, the, it, it is a very creative process and you're making choices as you go, uh, both, be, you know, both on the kind well, of compromises is, you, you make. You both come from music, so you know how important the mix yeah. is in the music. And yeah, exactly. Maybe just, I'm, not, I'm personally not willing to relinquish that control. <laughs> no, and, I, and yeah. I, I feel the same way. I feel that, you know, the artist needs to be able to put a hand on things in a certain way. To, to come up with a, a, a rendering that is appropriate. But you know there are ways to automate certain aspects of this. Some of the workflow we worked out for, for the live productions that we were doing together, the next stages would include uh, you know, automating certain parts of, of, of that process. Like let's say we want to create multiple perspectives uh, based off of different camera angles and we want to actually change the audio perspective mm, when you change idea. the camera cut, right? Which we would love for you to do. Right, well, so we, we have workflows that we've kind of strategized about, you know, how do you do that, right? It usually involves a lot more manual work, but then spitting out multiple multi-channel mixes that go into a switch that now become automated, right? Because now you're cutting, you're cutting the video, and the video is cutting the audio based off of what the the director in the you know wants on the line cut. So you could so there are hybrid, convert that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So these are these are hybrid automation workflows where they still are going to require some manual mixing, but once it's set up, then we can say well, uh, it's a, much easier to manage. On so just as a as a practical question, the way that the sound is captured. Can you alter that perspective after the sound is captured? That if you didn't do it originally, like you're in post, and now you, you're taking the live, and you're posting the live, and you want to have that sound perspective, can you move it around? Well, that's where it comes in, you know, where it comes in, like, where we want to capture as much content as possible, because yes, at that point after the fact, if you have the data, are we doing that on this? <laughs> <laughs> then you can do whatever you want. You can. You can. You can rotate it. Let's say you decide. You know, we're gonna we're gonna open the concert with the you know with the audience in front of us and not the band in front of us. You can take that whole sphere and you can rotate it. You can get inside that sphere of sound that you've recorded um, in post production and then you know shift some of the levels up and some down. So there's a lot that you can do. There's a lot of flexibility. You know, it, it's great for 360 because at least the music industry, has come to expect a certain level of sound production <clears throat> in linear, in 2D. Mm -hmm. That's right. And we have to come up to that level of production in image and sound in order for them to buy in to what this is. It isn't just about plunking a camera down anymore. We had many, you know, we were directed as a live event um, and w with images in sphere using voices technology and uh, and making sure that the quality of the sound that you were here is what you were going to hear in the 2D broadcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to ask about hardware, like my last question. There are constant improvements mm. in sound capture, not just the software, but the hardware. Are there sound capture devices, microphones now, that are specifically sensitive or made for virtual reality, for that kind of immersion, or is it just adapting what's out there? Or changing the software. Well, there's, there's a whole lot of, I mean, my company go. builds yeah. a microphone. It's called 8-Ball. It's an eight-channel uh, uh, capturing system to address the workflow issue of how do we not get the microphone in the camera 
mm. in the cam in the way of the cam and what the camera is seeing. We built an internal clamping mechanism that allows you to attach it directly underneath the camera system. Which I have now assigned personality and name to. <laughs> yes, yes. Under each camera, I've named them. So yes, yes. you've named them all. Yes. Yeah. So we've we've. We've, uh, we've addressed some of those issues that we thought of right away, like we're like, well, this is a problem. I can't put a microphone here. So what am I gonna do? How do we do this? But that addresses one part of the element. Um, there's a lot of innovations. There's ambisonic microphones that are out. Um, they've been out for years, and there's new ones that are coming out um, every day. But then again, this, the traditional recording and capture systems just using mono microphones still works uh, fantastically and, too. And, and there's a reason we have to do that, which is that even your very best microphone, fanciest ambisonic, doesn't matter how many channels, suffers from exactly the same problems as any other microphone, which is the moment you walk away from it and you're more than two feet away, really what you're gonna start to capture is more an ambience. Uh, and I, I was chatting to people here, you know, who make a, a, a popular ambisonic microphone, and, and, and uh, they told me, yeah, they're kind of marketing it now really as an ambience microphone. Sure. So as not to kind of give people false hopes which I think people did have that, here's your 360 camera, here's your 360 microphone, you put one on top of the other, and everybody- and There just, you have there it. There you have it, and it just, and what you get back is just, it's not adequate. Well, it and sounds I, too distant and- Just to that point, usually the onboard microphones on the cameras will not suffice for the kind of sound design yeah. that you want. Yeah, they never so. did. So you'll, you'll, you'll have labs, you'll have other mics, and we had to become kind of adept at planting mics in discrete places. We spend a lot of time crawling around kind of under desks and in... in well, that um, is the music yeah, industry. Exactly. In, so you're in amongst <laughs> bushes, figuring out like a way to hide a microphone where the camera can't see it. And all of those feeds, as Matt was saying, you don't know if it's gonna be useful, but you wanna cover your bases every possible way. You know, maybe that one will, will be the, you know, the hero mic of that particular shoot. Well, Joel and Mike, I, I, Matt, I feel we have only scratched the surface. Yes, this could sure. have been a, this could have been a workshop for God's <laughs> sake. I hope this is being taught in universities and that sound designers. Actually, are universities so. are some of our biggest clients. I mean, that's excellent. It's, it's, it's fantastic, actually, that, that they're would, looking to. And also, uh, if anyone that's interested in this, uh, we um, we created a course. It's an online course run out of Columbia College Chicago on immersive sound and music for for XR. Perfect. And so we, we kind of poured all our knowledge and hearts into that. So you can find it. Excellent. Okay, so this is our start for Immersive today. We started with sound. I'm just being heard. I need to stretch. So <laughs> okay. me and Steve, we become very close, the director. Yes. So um, I guess my last question would be talking about teaching this and learning this. It's great to have an online course, but but in terms of going into universities and being able to say, okay, now we're not dealing, I guess now we're not dealing with traditional sound design, but this has to be part of a sound design curriculum. And are people who are designing sound for games, are they perfect to design sound for, is it a short hop to design sound for? Well, there's different ways, you know, people who are working in sound designing for games are, are usually working within gaming engines um, to do that. So it's a slightly different but similar approach, especially if you're using object-based spatial audio systems that attach to individual sounds. Um, talking about games, we actually just created a new product called Audio Royale, which is for gamers, for PC gamers, which takes advantage of the traditional spatial output that games utilize now, which is usually 5.1 or 7.1 um, outputs. So we created a tool for Fortnite players to be able to 
to do that, right? Um, so, just consumers, it's a regular consumer tool. So there's, uh, but I think there's, there is a lot uh, in, you know, between game audio creation and, uh, and spatial audio creation for, for, uh, for video content. I think there's a lot of... Uh, well, there is, now you have like Contagion just came out, so now you're having AAA virtual reality titles yes. come out. And so I would guess that would be a little different. And then there's another perspective that Unity uh, now has Cinecast and Cinemachine. Sure. And these are game engine cameras that can actually uh, go right into an ATEM switcher so that you can do live what we're watching and then you can do live into the game. It's, it's very cool stuff. I mean, we have a lot of, we have Unity plugins. So if you're doing game sound design or virtual reality sound design, we have Unity plugins that allow you to to ingest um, uh, our omnibinaural captures for mm. immersive beds, or uh, even uh, 5.1, 7.1, uh, 714 virtualization, things like that. There's a lot. There's a lot you can do and cross over. So here's what I was going to say. Um, also on the education front, I think a lot of what we you know, we find ourselves trying to do is just um, uh, let people know that we've moved, you know, in the same way we did long time ago from mono to stereo. <clears throat> now we've gone from stereo not only to surround, but to the entire, you know, up and down as well. And, the, and so we asked- So it's six off sound. Yeah, six off sound. And so we asked them the question, right, now we can do this, what are you going to do with it? Like, what content are we going to create that justifies using this in a way that's not gimmicky, but it is creatively interesting? And so I find myself, you know, I go and talk to composers and I say, how are you going to write your music differently to accommodate and also to make full use of, of this incredible opportunity we've all got to do something you know, with immersive sound. It reminds me of the Association um, album that I got as a kid where it was like early stereo, that tells you how old I am, and you'd have one voice in one ear and one instrument in another, yeah. and it was actually disconcerting because if something happened to your thing and you only heard one channel, you were, you know. Just one final question. If you don't get the image right, you can make people sick. Mm -hmm. How does sound affect that? Or is that irrelevant? Um, if you do sound wrong, can people be disoriented and? Not, maybe not in exactly the same way as the, as the visuals work because sound fundamentally is a, it's a driver of emotion. And, and so um, what, you, what you can find is that in, in video games, uh, which is also the most extreme use of sound and, vis and visuals, right? um, by having you know kind of barrage of a lot of aggressive music that's kind of frenetic stuff, you can contribute to the sense of nausea, and um, by contrast, by having you kind know, of calming sound and stuff like that, you can help mitigate it. Uh, the problem is that you know in a video game, typically where there's a lot of action by nature, you're going to want to have something pretty energetic in the music, and so while I don't think. I can personally make anyone throw up um, by you know, doing something a little crazy with the music. I could probably contribute a little bit to it. Um, yeah, but that would be on purpose, not I'd do it on purpose, but we have actually given some thoughts to can sound help prevent nausea in VR? That's a great. And I think it can, it can help. It can be a tool to help kind of just set an emotional environment that is going to you know, pull you away from that kind of a sensation. Oh my God, we, we, next, next time we get together, we'll have a neuroscientist on the panel. So, okay, gentlemen, now we're going to wrap. Thank you so yes. much, Joel. Thanks, Thank you Brian. so Thank much, you. Matt. Thanks, like Thank I say, you, we only Thanks, scratched the surface. The Columbia School is offering a course. That's right, you Columbia College Chicago online, and you can find the course on immersive sound and music. Um, 
you know, please go ahead and find it. It's great. Great. Thank you so much, guys. Right. Appreciate it. We'll be right Thanks. back. This hour is sponsored by BitCentral, efficient media workflows.